right, so we are continuing um, to look at our James series today, focusing on James chapter 2 and the relationship between faith and works. Now, the relationship between faith and works is a pretty sensitive topic when it comes to Christianity. And this is a fairly controversial part of Scripture that can cause more damage than good if we don't interpret it through the rest of Scripture. But today I want to take a slightly different angle on this passage. In 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, Paul instructs the Christians in Corinth, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So this evening I want us to use James chapter 2 as an opportunity to examine our faith and to ask ourselves some hard questions about where we're at. If you've got your Bibles with you, um, feel free to turn with me to James chapter 2. We're starting at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now hearing that passage probably makes a lot of us, including myself, very uncomfortable, not least because it sounds like a works-based salvation. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. That doesn't really sound right. That doesn't sound like the gospel we know. That it is by grace we have been saved through faith and not by works so that no one can boast. And that's in Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9. But let's just take a step back to give some context to this passage. James is the half-brother of Jesus and a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And he's writing to Jewish believers who are scattered among the nations. People who have already declared Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And James is writing this letter to instruct these new believers on how to live out their new identity in Christ. Super practically, how to be a Christian day by day. And kind of the overarching theme of his letter is that as believers, we need to be doers of God's word, not just hearers of God's word. And in the first couple of chapters of the letter, James has already covered a lot about what it means to live as a believer. 
He's talked about speaking kindly to others, caring for orphans and widows, loving your neighbor, and not showing favoritism between believers. And then we get to this climactic moment in his train of thought where James exclaims, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if we claim to have faith but have no deeds? What's the point? What's the use of that? What good is it if we say that we believe that, Je- if we believe that Jesus loves us and died for us, but we don't show mercy towards other people? And if we don't care for the poor and the oppressed, if we don't show love towards others? If we claim to have faith, but then we don't do these things, our faith is dead. It's useless. That's what James is saying. Not me. It's actually in the Bible. Faith is not, that is not accompanied by action is dead. And to prove his point, James goes on to give two Old Testament examples of faith accompanied by work and obedience to God. And the first is Abraham. Now, Abraham is kind of considered the father of the nation of Israel, their patriarch. And all the way back in Genesis chapter 15, in the first book of the Bible, God makes a promise to Abraham that he will not only have a son, but he will have descendants as numerous as the stars. Now, Abraham and his wife Sarah are like super old at this point, and they have no kids. And so God's promise to them seems pretty impossible. But Abraham believed God and had faith that God would fulfill his promise. He trusted God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now jump forward a few years to Genesis chapter 22, and God has kept his promise and provided Abraham and Sarah with a son in their old age. And then God says to Abraham, I want you to take your one and only son, Isaac, who you love, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And what does Abraham do? He obeys. He decides to trust God and put his faith into action. And for those of you who don't know how that story ends, God actually provides Abraham with a lamb at the last minute to be the burnt offering rather than Isaac, and so he doesn't have to sacrifice his son. But the point is, he was willing to obey and put his faith in God into action, whatever the cost. Now, Abraham is thought of pretty highly in the Jewish community, and James may have anticipated that some Jews he was writing to would consider Abraham's faith an exception. Of course, someone like Abraham is going to have a faith accompanied by works. Someone might object that it's unrealistic to expect a normal person to live up to the same standard as someone as great as Abraham. And so James gives another example of faith accompanied by works. Rahab. A Gentile, a woman, a prostitute. Rahab, who chose not just to believe in the God of Israel, but to put her faith into action. In the book of Joshua, we're told a story about how Joshua sends two spies to gather information on the city of Jericho. And the authorities find out and they want to kill these two men. And Rahab takes them and hides them in her own home, committing treason against her city and putting her life in danger. And by doing so, she saves her own life and the life of her family when Jericho falls to the Israelites. Faith in action. There are plenty of other examples throughout the Bible of works of, sorry, plenty of other examples of faith being accompanied by works throughout the Bible. 
You only have to read Hebrews 11 to see an undeniable connection between faith and works. Example after example of faith expressed through action. By faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. By faith, Noah built an ark to save his family. By faith, people passed through the Red Sea. And the list goes on. And these were all commended for their faith, a living faith that produced action. Paul the Apostle in the New Testament also touches on this relationship between faith and works. In Galatians 5, 6, he writes, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. So we've established a pretty strong case that living faith is accompanied by works. Now, if I look at my life and I come to the conclusion that I don't have a faith that works, what do I do? Do I focus on my works? Do I try harder to do more works and prove my faith? Does it mean that I have to work for my salvation? Absolutely not. James is not teaching a works-based theology here. In fact, I don't think the point of this passage is works at all. It's our faith. If I have a faith that is not accompanied by good works, it probably means I don't really understand what Jesus has done for me. That I am a sinner and he has saved me. That he loves me and I have eternal life in him. So I think the answer to what do I do if I don't have a faith that works is not do more works. It's examine your faith. Yes, you can try working harder to be a good person and do good things. But if it's not coming from an overflow of your love for Jesus and your faith in him, I don't think our works are going to be sustainable in the long run. Our actions are an outward expression of our faith in Jesus. And we do the things we do because we love him. I was listening to a conversation earlier this week between John Piper and Tim Keller on sanctification and the relationship between faith and works. And Tim Keller put it like this. When you understand the gospel, you are no longer doing good works for you. You are doing them for God, to please and honor the one who has saved you. See, the motivation behind our works is not the need to gain salvation. It's a desire to please the one who has already saved us. Walter Marshall was an author in the 1600s who wrote a book called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. And in it he writes, we must first receive the comforts of the gospel that we may be able to sincerely perform the duties of the law. That is, when we are assured of our salvation and our hope in Christ, we will have a faith that is expressed in love, a love that overflows from our security in God's love for us. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. Or in other translations, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Not out of fear and insecurity in our salvation, but because if we truly love Jesus, we will want to keep his commands. So then the question is, do we love Jesus? Like, really love him? to the point where our faith can't help but be expressed in love 
in good works and in obedience. Now, of course, we still have a role to play when it comes to choosing to be obedient and act on our faith. It doesn't just happen. We always have a choice, like Abraham and Rahab, to obey or not obey. And loving God often looks like going against our flesh and what we feel like doing. Good works might be a natural overflow of our faith, but there will be plenty of times when it doesn't feel natural. Like choosing to love someone who's hurt you, or choosing not to join in when there's gossip in the workplace or in your uni classes. Or standing by your faith even when you might lose your job, your friends, your family, and even your life because of it. Having a faith that expresses itself in love requires that we make hard choices and sacrifices. But I think sometimes we get so caught up on the need to do things that we neglect to ask the question, why? Why am I doing these things? Who am I doing them for? How is my relationship with Jesus? Am I doing things because I love him? Because I'm afraid of him? because I want to please people? Am I working from a place of salvation or a place of fear? And I'm not claiming to have any of this stuff sorted out myself, but I just want to ask the questions today, hopefully questions that will help us to stop and examine our faith. Okay, so I think I might not have a faith that works, and I know that means I probably need to work on my faith. But how do I do that? Well, this week I read a lot of articles and listened to a lot of sermons as I was preparing to preach. And none of them really answered this question. Everyone really hammered home the faith without deeds is dead part. But no one really talked about what to do about it. So what can we do? Well, you know, I've been going to church my whole life and I still really struggle sometimes to understand God's love for me which makes it really hard to have a faith that works. And I'm still working through a lot of this stuff myself, but I think I do have some idea of what we can do. If we jump back to John chapter 14, where Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands, he then says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And who is he talking about? The Holy Spirit. When it comes to talking about our works and our faith, we often focus on what I need to do to produce more good works or what I need to do to strengthen my faith. But we forget about the role of the Holy Spirit in strengthening our faith and producing good works. In Galatians 5, after Paul has said that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, he then goes on to talk about the importance of living life by the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of my own striving or my own strength, and we sometimes read that list and we're like, oh, okay, I need to be more loving or I need to be more patient. When actually what I think we need is more of the spirit. A tree doesn't produce fruit if there are no roots or branches. That's not how trees work. 
And in John chapter 15, after promising the Holy Spirit, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what does this scripture tell us? I think it tells us that rather than focusing on producing more fruit, we should be focusing on remaining in Christ, or as some other translations say, abiding in him. By remaining in him, we will bear fruit, but we have to abide in him to do so. And that word abide is translated as to continue to be present with. And how do we continue to be present with Christ in our day-to-day lives? Through the Holy Spirit, through the one who is always with us and lives in us, the spirit of truth. Apart from him, we can't do anything. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13 tells us that we can't even say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He is our strength, our wisdom, and our assurance of salvation. So to finish up tonight, I actually just want us to spend some time examining our own faith and praying together. And if you look at your life and you think, yeah, I think I do have a faith that works, and you know, I understand God's love for me, and I'm sharing that with other people, then that's awesome. Pray that you would continue to do that. But if you examine your faith and you think, actually, I'm really struggling with my faith in this whole loving God thing, then that's okay. I can guarantee you are not alone. But if that's where we're at, I really think that we should do something about it. So I would love for us to pray for each other that the Holy Spirit would take what we know intellectually about Jesus and make it a truth that transforms our entire lives. That our faith would not just be something that we talk about, but something that expresses itself in love and spurs us into action. And if none of that really applies to you, feel free to pray about anything I've talked about or just anything you need prayer for in general. Um, So we'll break up into maybe groups of like four or five. um, Yeah, and just spend some time praying together.